Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have the Waving Bear Studio behind the upcoming title known as Stuffed. Thanks for joining, y'all. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm very glad y'all were able to join because honestly, I hadn't heard about this game until recently and I thought this one would be a good one to talk about. I really like the the very childish but interesting approach to this game. Um, I always like though, before we get into the game itself to talk about who the people are, right? So I wanna go into the introductions. I wanna get to know the team. Uh, why don't we do a round robin of introductions? Tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into the indie game space and uh, you know, eventually started working on Stuffed. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Matt, I'm the animator. Uh, so originally, uh, I kind of fell into games. I didn't originally actually look to make games. I always wanted to go into film and things like that. But okay. Uh, a group of us started at university and sort of done basically an early version of this project in our own time and just sort of basically a portfolio piece to see what we could do. And uh, by the end of the year, we found that we actually got a bit of a following for it. We took to a few events and sort of went, okay, let's see what we can, where we can go with this and just sort of have just been building on that over the last few years. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Ashley. I'm the environment and prop artist. So before university, I was a graphic designer. So I always kind of did digital art, uh, making everything from posters to business cards to um, you know, magazine adverts at some point. And then I've always played games since I was a young kid. Like, you know, I had a Game Boy, I had a PS2, like always grew up playing games. So it's kind of made sense to take that digital art side and one of my favorite hobbies is put them together really. Right. So I went to university, started studying games. That's why I met all the guys here. Um, so I met Matt in my final year. We were working on a virtual reality hoverbike simulation for a YouTuber client. It was really cool. We like ripped up some um, VR trackers, stuck them on this wooden contraption that was supposed to be a hoverbike. It was like a rocket horse sort of thing. And uh, we built not Star Wars. So it was a not speeder bike going through not Endor. Um, but it really didn't And then after that, Matt messaged me, asked if I wanted to start a studio with him, and yeah, went from there, really. Very cool. Uh, and yeah, I'm Dan. Um, I'm the lead developer at the minute on uh, Waving Bear Studio. Um, so I always wanted to get into games, really, or software in general. Um, I think when I was younger, when, whenever Angry Birds first came out on mobile, like, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe now, something like that, I saw the success of that sort of fashion. I was like, that's pretty cool from like, a mobile game. 
um, to how, how big it's like. There's even like a theme park in the UK that has like a Angry Birds land. Wow, um, that's crazy. Quite, quite a cool story. And then I went to study at university. That's where like we all went to the same university. Um, and in in my second year, like Matt's my brother. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> second year of university. That's when like I started working on like yeah the early prototype stuff with Matt. And then we started taking to like conventions and like just we had like a really really rough prototype. Um, we could probably show you that at some point as well because it's just it's nowhere near what it was. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, believe it. Um, but yeah, we like we took that to like gaming events and stuff, and then traction just sort of grew from that. And then then Ash came on and we moved down to Cornwall to, to join like a tech incubator, uh, and then to work on stuff full time from them. And that's been the last year and a half of my life, two years of two my and half, two and a half years, years of my life. Yeah, yeah working full time. Wow. Good job. That's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you all were able to uh, kind of come together in this. Uh, it makes it a little easier if it's uh, you know. Uh, by blood but uh yeah. that being said you know from the website i could see that it, this is your first game right you know you're you're getting into this uh for waving bear studio why did you decide to work on stuff like why stuff at all you know there's so many things that you could have done why this one well yeah um, yeah i guess i guess it again it goes back into it was it was all kind of a happy accident if we can be honest we never set out to be like oh yeah we're gonna definitely do this game you know uh you know, basically all of it just happened by accident. We essentially, at our university, they said between your second and third year, you can sort of take a placement year where you can either join a company and work for them for a year or create your own. And oh, okay. we sort of saw the companies we were applying for with like three or four people and thought, well, why don't we just give it a go ourselves? We, it's quite a good safety net. We're not, we don't have a mortgage or anything to pay yet, so we're fine. Right. Um, and we originally just sort of thought, well, we quite like Call of Duty Zombies. Let's see if we can make sort of like a, almost like an over-the-watch sort of style on, you know, Pixar art style or something like that, just for a bit of fun, see what we could do. It'd be a nice portfolio piece, it would help us get a job later on. And again, um, as we took it to events and stuff, we found that um, people just seemed to like it and seemed connect to connect with it. It was quite easy to sort of get your head around. You didn't need like huge tutorials. Right. Uh, it has changed since then. So originally it was supposed to be uh, like an 18 plus game. It was supposed to be a horror game. Mm. So. Oh. Akin to like Five Nights at Freddy's and Little Nightmares and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, going to events, we found kids loved it and it was crazy because we thought it was terrifying and the parents thought it was terrifying, but the kids loved it. So we thought, okay, if we do want to sort of really invest some time into this and try and market this, we're going to have to cutesy up a little bit more. So, right, I, yeah. Like, lean towards sort of the Pixar sort of art style now. And uh, we're sort of trying to go for that Pixar style again where it's not just the art style it's like parents can play with their kids as well so it's something there for everyone it's not just oh kids like it um you know adults can sort of play those familiar mechanics you know sort of call duty mechanics yeah. and uh, i think we're just trying to make something for a bit more of a general audience so it's not as it's just not 14 year old teenage boys you know <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh like we were all big fans of like you say of like Call of Duty zombies anyway. So like we play we played like hundreds of hours of like Call of Duty sort of the zombies game mode, like you know, for our life, I guess, like thousands of hours. Um so yeah, trying to I guess build and then because that's a game mode we all enjoy, working on a project that sort of relates to that as well is like pretty, pretty fun for us. So um that's like a little bonus on top. 
it makes it quite easy whenever we hit like a blocking point as well. So you've got a 360 under this screen. So you're saying, that, oh, I really don't know how this you know, gun should feel or how I should play it. So I'm like, come on, load up the 360, yeah, play a couple of rounds yeah. and uh, yeah. try and get some inspiration. And then an hour later, you're like, oh, I should probably get back on some work now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I I really like that because the the reason why I ask is specifically I see that, uh, let me double check, a lot of you have some type of work in the VR background. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I think all of the founders do. Yeah, yeah I was looking up at your, your About You page for, for all of the different founders and I was like, that's interesting because it, it seemed to me like that would have made, you know, uh, stuffed a project that could have gone into that VR space, right? So that was it was one of my my ideas of like, well, how come you didn't decide to and it could have just been scope, you know, that's totally uh, a, a great answer because I know that it's not something that you could just be like, all right, let's slap in a VR to it, you know, portion. But what was the reason why, you know, you you took a, a more 2D approach with this or not 2D, but 3D in that sense, not like VR. Uh, yeah. With VR, it's uh, well, to be, VR's not off the cards and stuff right now. Um, but, I mean, at least two, three years ago when we first started developing stuff, we always had the concept of it. VR wasn't as acceptable as it is today. Um, right. even, even now, not everyone has access to a VR headset. So, like, a good route to market for stuff is is the PC launch first, and then VR would be, because VR would be very cool for stuff. Like, it'd be probably quite scary, but pretty cool. You can run around shooting ducks and stuff. So, yeah, that's something we can um we thought about and talked about but i think uh things as well like i think people forget sometimes it is still a business and yeah. uh uh you sort of you know making the game is the fun bit and you do sort of have to do all this other stuff like okay especially since it's our first game we need to sort of generate a bit of revenue what is the best way to do that and you know sometimes you're like, oh, i'd love to make vr and you're like actually the market that's quite small especially mm -hmm. like two three years ago when we started looking into this so like Dan said, it's sort of a case of like, okay, maybe go PC first, then maybe a console, then later on to yep. you sort of have to think, you, you almost have to be quite poor and think of a business mindset of like, okay, actually, you know, uh, do these sort of stepping stones before you can get to the thing you actually really want to do. Yeah, because like releasing a game to market has so many hurdles as it is. And then so like you have to essentially, especially for your first sort of time, you have to think like, what is the most streamlined way we can get the game to market with the least, um, um, risk, yeah, yeah the problems. Uh, and then, and then once you've sort of done that, and you've laid the pipeline of how to get a game all the way through to production, then we can look at like, all the other other like routes of development. And like, especially like a year or two from now, VR might be even in a cooler space. So it might, there might even be new like uh, new hardware and stuff that we can even throw in and see how yeah, that goes. And it'd probably be easier to make something VR with the existing assets we've already got, as opposed to making a game in VR first, then trying to please PC. Mm. So it's probably easier that way as well. Yep. Yep. 100%. It makes sense. I, I like the idea of that that iterative uh, approach just because a lot of people, especially when they're first creating, you know, this is their their first project, this is their, their pie in the sky, they can get a bit uh, overwhelmed by just how many pieces there really are. Because it's a lot of people, they think of just making a game, right? They're like, I just want to make a game. I want to have a game. And then they don't think about the business side at all. They don't think about like the scope of how long it might take them to make. Um, I think that's a good segue question because I wanted to just ask, you know, is this, uh, and I know you mentioned things about that, that portion of university, is this a full-time project 
for the team? And if so, about how long have you really been working on this in total? Yeah, so it's, um, we are full time on it. So um, as Matt and Dan mentioned, they started sort of when they were at university. And then when they graduated is when I came on. Um, so I met Matt on different projects. And we were fortunate enough down here in Cornwall as a tech incubator that basically gives you funding for a year to um, create high tech, um, high growth tech companies. Okay. So we were really fortunate for that. We got funding for a year. We, could, we built the project again from the ground up, started everything again from scratch. And then for the last year and a half, we've just been working on it full time. Uh, we're raising funding for it, um, a bit of our own savings to get us through. Right. I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, we all lived together. So it was about six months where our studio was our kitchen. Yeah. And we had a studio with bedrooms attached. Yeah. Which uh, great production, terrible for work-life balance. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine, especially in today's uh, day and age, that's got to be a bit, uh, a bit, you know, cabin fever at times. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, horrendous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's pros and cons, <laughs> probably more cons. <laughs> I don't know how we were still friends to be honest. Yeah, that's, that is true. Uh, you brought up a good point. Uh, you've mentioned events and kind of that promotion of the game. Um this is a hard time to do this. So I just kind of wanted to see, you know, like obviously the reception there was great when you had brought it to those different events, you get that feedback, you get that understanding. What are you doing now in, in especially this world where we can't really just go out to a convention and talk to people and, you know, show off your game. Like what has that looked like? And, and maybe the answer is just that you haven't really done it because you're focusing more on the game right now, but like, what are some of those ways you're trying to get some of that feedback or those those uh, times to show off the game? So um, I'd definitely say the first sort of six months of lockdown was waiting for the rest of the world to catch up essentially. Where, yeah. But I'd say after the sort of six months of lockdown, uh, I'd say it's actually gotten quite easy now. Like uh, we just participated in the Steam Game Festival where right. um, you know, you can upload your game, uh, people can play it for a little bit. So we put a demo on there. We had like 5,000 players or something like that. Yeah, over the week. Which is obviously great. Um, yeah. People to break it and sort of see what, what they do like, what they don't like. Uh, but I guess we also run um, like closed betas. So like we have a Discord at the minute. So we try and get yeah, as many people as we can on our Discord to then like to get a, a closed beta in. Oh no, essentially it's an open beta. We'll give access to everyone. But that was in Halloween of this year or like last year. So we did the yeah, open beta, and so we can just get loads of feedback from from players and from just anything really, any suggestions or, or bugs and stuff like that to to see if we can improve the project and we'll probably do a few more in the future. Yeah, I think in a weird way, there's obviously pros and cons. Like we miss going out to conventions, we miss yeah, meeting yeah. people, chatting to people. But I think people are more honest online. Like when you're talking <laughs> to people at conventions and you're looking them in the eye, right. they're all. And you put it online and you get all the messages and you're like, oh, you get the actual honest, like, oh, I didn't like this thing, or you know, this game's not for me. Whereas everyone's just so nice to your face, you don't know if they're being honest or not. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I never would have thought of that. I just hope it doesn't go the opposite direction, right? As opposed to being too nice in, in your face to being too mean of just being like, this game's shit, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do get the really nice um, ones as well. Yeah. I think over time, you develop a skill to just understand what's actual good feedback. Even if someone's saying that this game is crap, you can see where they're coming from. If they're saying it's crap because of this, this, and this, you go, 
okay, that's actually quite valid. That makes sense. If they're just saying, right. oh, like Fortnite, you're like, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's, <laughs> it's not what getting upset about. So I still think one of my favorite quotes when he feedback was, the devs aren't clever, the devs aren't, fu- the devs aren't funny. There's nothing enjoyable here. But like, oh, I'm not a funny person. <laughs> wow, very personal. <laughs> Is absolutely lovely. Like most people are so nice and so supportive. But um, you do remember those little like that one with them that comes through. That's the ones you remember. I'm sure I've I've been lucky to to be doing this because uh, I'm personally a person who would be affected by some uh, of those negative comments. Like I'm lucky to be in a space where I'm not big enough. Like I'm big enough where people know about our stuff and people who are in our community enjoy what we do, but not big enough where you get that constant feedback of just like all those assholes who are like, you suck, and you're just like, but why are you even here then? (laughs) Yeah, that's spot on. You do get people going, you know, it's like, there's not a bone in my body that wants to play this. But you wrote that down. You took a day to write this, why? Because I mean, you know, we're all gamers. There are games I enjoy. There are games I don't enjoy that are successful. You know, I don't. I've never messaged one from going. I don't enjoy this game. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too true. Um, I know we've been we've been talking about this game a lot, but we haven't really sat down and described what exactly it is. And let's just take a back uh, backtrack of. What exactly is this game all about? For those who haven't heard about Stuffed at all, for those who are just for the first time listening to this podcast, maybe, or just found it through a quick Steam search, how would you describe Stuffed and and what really, you know, um, makes it unique? Yeah, so Stuffed is a game where you play as a teddy bear, defending a little girl from her nightmares. And I think we've touched on it loosely, but the idea behind it really was to take the games we love as adult gamers, those sort of 80 plus shooters, to take the, the sort of core mechanics, the main gameplay loop, but to make it more accessible to a wider audience, specifically a younger audience. Because yeah. I look back to when we were, you know, gamers growing up, and my parents were playing, you know, 18 plus games are 18 plus games, you're not playing them as a 10 year old. And there's right. nothing that we can find where it's like the same experience but without the blood and the violence that was you know the thinking behind all of it was how do we still offer that same experience those same cool moments the exact same feeling but to a game that you know a parent would be happy for their kid to play or even better would be happy to play split screen with their kids so i think so many parents now have grown up as gamers you know games have been big for a while now yeah, that's true. Are looking for stuff to play with their children it'd be a great bonding experience to play a game you know between a parent and a child so, um, yeah, that was a lot of thinking behind it. All right. Yeah, I really like that because my wife, my wife, she uh, is not a gamer at heart. Uh, and I clearly am. Uh, I play them all the time. And she sees some of the games that I play. And she's always like, when we have a kid, you can't play those games. She's always <laughs> very adamant about telling me that uh, if it's too violent, I like the kid cannot see it. So I, I think it makes sense. I think. You, you hit the nail on the head that a lot of people growing up now are those gamers as kids, right? And so you still want to have that passion and show that to your child. So I think it's a, a great bonding point of having a game that kind of bridges that gap between the adult world and the kid world by having the same kind of mechanics that you would see in something like a Call of Duty or, you know, in, in uh, you mentioned Overwatch before, but like having that first person shooter, um, or just shooter, because I think it's third person, if, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, but 
Oh, it is first. Okay. Excuse me. Having that first person, you know, environment and, and being able to, to shoot things and, and kill things technically, but it's like, it's just a, you know, it's a toy duck. It's fine. Yeah. Right. It's not the, not the end of the world. Um, but when you think of teddy bears, you often don't also think about guns at all. Right. So this is, this is a very clever way to come up with, um, just a very different, uh, I guess, perspective on on a child's world and like their imagination which i really like because you had to become a, a little bit clever about how those weapons show up because it wouldn't make sense to just have that teddy bear but then an ak-47 right so can you tell me a little bit about those those household objects and kind of how that came into mind of using those very different objects to be like oh this is actually a bazooka but it's like you know you're shooting out soda cans instead yeah, yeah. So I think the original prototype these guys worked on, um, it was Nerf guns. Yeah, it was the original okay. idea. These foam darts, and then when we started showing it to people in early prototypes, so like uh, that still looks like a gun, just more like say from Halo than Call of Duty. So uh, we were like this right early in development. We were kind of stumped on it, and we're looking around. I think it was Codename Kids Next Door. Yeah. Was we yeah, saw okay. from that we saw their ketchup guns, so we went, yeah. "That's it. Yeah. That's you know that's what we want to do." So, um, I mean, I think making the gun is probably the most creative process we've got. Because yeah. we tend to start from, like, the weapon we want to emulate. It's like, okay, we need a shotgun. And mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, what does it fire? How does it work? And we get into some real heated arguments where we want everything to feel like it could work. She'll sit there arguing with someone about how a crayon can be fired from a doll's hands, but it still makes sense in the real world. It's like, no, that wouldn't work. Trust me. Like, there's right. no way. Work. And we would love, we spoke about it before, to see if something could actually build one. <laughs> like, if anyone can recreate one and it works brilliantly, that would be, yeah, yeah, that'd be a dream. I think the the funnest bit, at least for me, about the, the guns, I just love coming up with the names because it's like it's like such a the, the guns can just be anything. The names we just come up with, like the shotguns called Jelly Boom Boom, <laughs> and it's just like the, the handguns Planky with Bang Bang, and I just love the name. And I love it when there's like um, I guess serious game players. They're playing it and they're like, oh, run over there and pick up the jelly boom boom. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so a lot of the time we're like, that name's not going to stick. Yeah, so no, like, no. Like, and then they're like, people are just using it without thinking about it. You're like, oh, okay, I guess it's stuck now then. Yeah. Thank you for bang bang. I don't think we planned to stick with that. It was um, yeah. a rip off from boat face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, then it was kind of stuck, and that just became the naming convention. Yeah, it's, uh, just, just weird things. Yeah, yeah. I think we just—I mean, you touched on it before—the child's imagination. Like, we just try and have fun with yeah. everything we're designing, everything we're naming. If it's funny to us, hopefully it'll be funny <laughs> to someone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really like the. So this is one of those questions where I. I didn't really anticipate this much uh, behind it. I love the idea of having those heated debates behind these just because it is a really cool part of it, right? Like I think that alone is one of the, the most interesting parts, at least for me, was watching the different guns in, in the trailer and watching it in some uh, playthroughs of it. I was like, wow, those are, those are kind of creative. The, the way that like many of them have the intricacies that you said, if you look at them, 
you can kind of tell that these are something that you could probably build yourself like if you just had the the household objects right like i i think that this would be a really cool say this game does blow up and say this is something that you know a lot of kids like this is something that you could put online and it could even be another one of those window opportunities of like parents can sit down with their kids and literally build these right mm -hmm. like these are kind of cool because they could they could make these obviously you know making guns is kind of like uh, <laughs> but like still like they're just they're crafts arts and crafts projects you know like you could you could twist it into a, a, a better way to put it obviously but i still think it's cool that there's there's opportunities for bonding moments even outside of the game because of that yeah. um and let's I, I i skipped one of my questions that i really wanted to ask which is just really the inspiration as far as this like i kind of mentioned you know why stuffed um but like why did this game as far as the the child's imagination like why like where did the idea of being a teddy bear come from right uh, okay think, so oh well yeah so lucy actually yeah lucy so our other co-founder is here today uh she came up with the original concept of uh just a teddy bear and i think i can't remember what she inspired her to do i think she was just looking up online sort of things with teddy bears and stuff but i think once she said that it just kind of blew up and i found i think we just found that like a teddy bear is quite universal it crosses a lot of like you know gender boundaries and race boundaries and even like you know countries and stuff like most countries have some kind of teddy bear equivalent right. like that. and i think especially like most people can put themselves in that place of having a teddy bear when they're younger so mm -hmm. it's all I don't know, I think everyone can sort of imprint themselves onto it to some extent. Um, we'd love later on to sort of change, you know, the teddy bear to really sort of customize it and stuff to sort of, everyone can sort of have their own version of it essentially. So I think we just like yeah, universal to sort of it. Mm. That's a really cool uh, background of it because once again, I, I really like the, the thought of the making this a universal idea of it not just being it's a teddy bear because, you know, whatever it could be any childhood toy right but like it's not a specific one to a region or a specific one to a type of gender it's just it's a teddy bear because they're pretty neutral and a lot of people know about them it, it crosses many gaps so i i definitely uh think that's uh an a plus idea as far as picking it but um let's talk a little bit about that customization that you just mentioned, because I did want to go into that. So there in the trailer, there seemed to be a lot of different costumes. You're constantly rotating through that. Um, how do you go about actually obtaining these in the game? Yeah, so um, there's two sort of ways you can customize your bear as it stands, or three actually, because I've been looping in. So you can change the fur color, which is like the pattern on the actual bear. You can give it a little outfit to wear, and now you can customize the colors of your weapons. Since it's first person, we thought I was quite forward, like it's what you're looking at the most. So everything's unlocked with bear coins, which is our sort of in-game currency. And at the moment, in sort of demos, we're doing um, all of that is unlocked through gameplay. So at the end of a session, your points will be converted into coins. You can then spend them in the wardrobe to buy outfits or fur colors. We are going to look into um, putting sort of in-app purchases to buy bear coins for people who want to. But where we're sort of aiming at a younger audience, we really want everything to be able to be unlocked by playing the game. Like yeah. If you want to get ahead, sure, it's going to be cosmetic only. It's not going to affect anything. But if you you know are young and you've only got you know, a bit of pocket money, we want you to be able to experience everything that every other game we can do, really. Yep. Yeah, it's not behind huge paywalls where it's like, you know, 20 pounds or dollars for a skin it's like you know a couple pounds or something it's, you know it'd be quite cheap so 
which is only why I'm for them as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and so as far as the different customizations, the different skins that you can get, what's your personal favorite? Well, I like this, the scuba one. So it's like a, a rubber ring that the teddy bear's wearing and like flippers and like a snorkel and stuff. And then like one of them like stripey furs as well, my go-to. Yeah, I wear um, I use a rainbow print leopard fur yeah. and then Ooh. I've got a pink tutu with fairy wings. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm quite a big fan of the rainbow leopard print as well. I quite like the Halloween skin we did as well, where it's like the uh, skeleton. So it's just like a luminescent sort of green skeleton over like black fur. So it's kind of sort of pink. Yeah, it's just sort of a paint sort of Halloween look. That's cool. Um, very nice. So when we're talking about the actual gameplay though going back to that as far as like the different types of enemies that you're fighting so we mentioned you know you're you're also going up against these these childhood toys these like these little ducks these figurines um many of the toys make sense but then i also noticed there's these shadow figures oh yeah so uh is this is this something like the i i read in the description there's this nightmare demon mentioned on the scene page that appears at the end of every night uh, is that what these these shadow figures are, or is this something even completely different? Yeah, so our sort of thought process was before that, uh, without giving too much away, is that sort of a representation of sort of nightmares and darkness and that sort of thing. And essentially, uh, those things are kind of possessing household objects and stuff, so they're sort of what's making the gnomes and the ducks and stuff like that move mm -hmm. and stuff. So that's sort of the idea, is like the teddy bear sort of in general, just sort of fighting nightmares as manifest yeah. darkness. Yeah. yeah, and then the, and then the darkness comes in a couple forms as well. Like there's the the tall Slenderman looking guy that comes like every certain amount of rounds, and then we have like the minion ones, which are like the smaller, fast moving ones. Um, and then there's like a, a big hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, that, yeah. there's a, a there's a few that we haven't shown yet in trailers yeah. that are okay. probably be shown. So yeah, like the yeah the darkness like coming in many forms. Um, we, we kind of like the idea of the freedom of it, where it's just, it's not one particular thing. Again, going back to like, that universal, for everyone's nightmare is different, so we're trying to keep it in as many sort of different forms as we can, so it's not just one thing, I guess, it's just trying to vary it as much as we can, and it just keeps the gameplay interesting as well, so it's not just, you know, just gnomes every round. Gotcha. And then... Uh, sticking on that, you know, that nightmare uh, demon kind of idea, is this going to be that there will be in this horde mode, so to speak, of going, you know, through waves that eventually you're going to have these much stronger kind of boss type enemies at any point? Yes. Um, so we've tried to work at this. It's like the main sort of enemies you see quite regularly. You've got the gnomes, the darks, the robots. And then we're working like special rounds where there's like one different type of enemy, depends a bit differently. And there's a couple of bosses, there's like the shark and that Slender Man type figure that can appear in like normal rounds. Mm. Um, working on some other rounds that might sort of slip in between different nights and stuff. But um, again, that's going to switch up the gameplay because one thing we found with playing a lot of horde shooters is the ones that kind of broke up your objectives you were playing through were less repetitive. If it was just one way, you know, wave after wave, it's just shoot and shoot and shoot mm -hmm. and shoot. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we kind of find ourselves getting a bit bored, whereas the ones that put in bosses or side missions and stuff, that like sort of come up randomly and sort of mix it up. We found it was like a lot easier just to keep playing for hours and hours on end. Um, right. keeps it really. Makes sense. And then as far as this goes, like with with these type of games, you know, these these 
endless wave type uh, modes. There's certain games that'll do it where it's it's endless waves up to a certain number and they're like 18, that's you win kind of a thing. Is that how this is structured or is this just a play to see how, how long you can go type game? Uh, we're still sort of undecided actually. We're sort of, well, yeah, we're, we're planning to have uh, eventually that custom mode. So yeah, users can set however many nights or how many ways in a night, um, as much as they want really. And then and then probably either just keep the endless mode or we're not really sure yet, like you say, but we either, either let, let the players choose if they want. It could be completely endless or, or set an achievable goal that they want to hit, um, depending on what, how the player really wants to play. Let's see. Yeah, I think one thing that works on our advantage is that the maps will randomly generate every time you play and as you play through each. Um, so the way the waves are set up, you have 10 waves and that's one night. And then you go into what would be wave 11 and it generates like a new map for you. So if we were doing an endless mode, like you keep playing, it would still be you know different maps with these different right. enemies. Um, so we'd love to see how far someone can get. Um, I think our record's probably wave 20. I think someone played about 50 or something. Yeah, someone got to like wave 50, and we were messaging going, did it break? Because we can't be asked to test that. Because we can't get there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's really that's really interesting too. Because I didn't know the the once you get past that wave 10 that the level just kind of regenerates itself i think that's really interesting that um what where where did that idea come from was it just something where you were like how do we keep it fresh well like yeah uh, well i guess in like uh, yeah like we're saying because you can't get fatigued with the same map and then we have other horseshoes like left for dead or so it's like you move from a to b sort of things so you're moving from a to b so yeah. after like 10 waves of sort of yeah reset it so it's almost a hybrid of that where yeah it's not necessarily a to b but you ask Sort of moving progress. Yeah, you're yeah, progressing through a new environment. Sort of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. No, I like it. I like it. It's very cool. Um, as far as the mechanic goes in those modes as well, I'm noticing, and you kind of mentioned it already. Those those points. Uh, you're racking up points constantly while you're shooting things. You're you know progressing through each one of those. Um, you mentioned that at the end there's the opportunity to get coins. Although who knows if that that does stick. Um, but as far as the things that you can do in the game, what are those points really made for? I, I've noticed there's certain things like you're able to buy new guns or, or open doors, things like that. What other type of uh, point do you have for this score that's constantly racking up? Yes, it's kind of like two scoring systems that going on for a game through like one gameplay. Do you want your points, which you get for um, killing enemies or for hitting them? That can be spent to open new doors, to buy weapons, to buy ammo, or to buy pickups in the map. So stuff like extra health, um, extra damage boost on the gun you've got equipped, um, self-revives. And then you also have a level up system within one gameplay session, and that gives you um, three random perks every time you level up. So it might be, again, the same sort of thing, the health boost, damage boost. It might give you some free points. Extra weapon slots. Extra weapon slots. And like the possibilities of that, because at the moment that was um, more like a proof of concept a few months ago we put in. Um, but it seems to go down pretty well. I and mean, then we can just pretty much add infinite amount of upgrades to the, to the player um, through the level up station thing. Um, so yeah, that's something we'll continuously upgrade really. Yeah, I think we like with that, it's a little bit more random to keep you on your toes. So sometimes it can be sort of, you know, a massive boost if you suddenly spawn something like, actually, I'm going to take a power up. Or, you know, it's just, it's interesting because then people can have different play styles. Like, actually, I prefer to go for this, or I prefer to go for this. And people might yeah. imagine they're trying to grab something while they can. So I think it's just sort of 
keep it fresh, I guess. That's all. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. As far as those points, um, I, I didn't, I don't remember if they would be removed, uh, which I think would make sense because it's like a currency in, in game. But do you have a end of score? Like, are you planning on doing things like leaderboards or things like, you know, just, just ways to build that competition around of like, oh, I got this many points or I got to this, this wave. Like, what is the, the plans as far as that goes? Oh yeah, yeah. I've put like a like a global leaderboard thing in would be pretty good, especially with like friends, your friends and team. Um, mm -hmm. So you can get all compared and get the highest round and stuff like that. Because actually, that's something that I used to actually take pride in when I was playing Call of Duty. Zombies, right? <laughs> and then, it's like you'll see where your friends got, and you're like, oh damn it, I've got to play for a bit longer. Like, I see everyone right. uh, to add that competitive edge to like give bribery rights essentially if, if you're interested in that. In Even like. Yeah. Now we play Warzone, we constantly check each other's scores to see where yeah, they yeah. are in the leaderboards and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, makes sense. Um, and then, so about this game, you know, we, we've talked about this endless wave mode. Um, there is a single player mode, but there's also the co-op ability, right? Um, especially with the, the, the world the way it is, like I think having co-op is something that is definitely needed in a lot of games. Um, but I'm always interested to hear kind of how the balancing works for this game. You know, having an extra player, does that make it innately easier? Do you have any uh, certain techniques or certain mechanics that either by spawning more enemies or just how do you make it so that the game doesn't feel too easy when you're adding more people into it? Yeah, so I mean, the, we're still working on that, but the, the initial thought here would be to really increase the amount of enemies that spawn based on the players that join. So if, you, if it's up to four player co-op, there'll be more AI in the scene. There's also different gameplay things like um, you, 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 in single player you can buy like a self revive. So if you go down, like you revive yourself up again. Um, so we could even take that out in co-op and then have your team have to revive the player. So right. that's like a, a, a team a team thing there. With uh, with that, I think it's just an ongoing battle as well. Yeah, imagine, just constantly yeah. checking with the audience and you know we'll put something in and like people are gonna love this and two days later it's like everyone has like hated it. So. Uh, it's just something that we constantly just test and see what the audience likes because at the end of the day it doesn't actually matter what we do what we no, prefer. What we prefer yeah. it's just for people's opinions we go to right. the audience they think uh you know a thousand people say this you know i think it's probably a good idea to do so we you know we play this game or we play for two and a half years you know we test it regularly so we can breeze through um, <laughs> lots of it you put it in front of someone like oh this is really hard is it uh, i'm not really sure anymore like yeah. kind of and that's where like, we kind of miss the conventions because once you're doing the online betas, we can ask people, you know, did you find it easy? Did you find it hard? When you've got that in-person prevention, you can watch them play. We can actually mm -hmm. see what people are struggling with. We can see, you know, what the average sort of score is, how long it's taken to get there. We've kind of lost that at the moment. So that is a shame. I do miss that. Yeah, yeah, you gotta gotta push people to to upload YouTube videos or something to try and get that experience. But even even that, you won't you probably won't see their face or you know get that like just that that instant feedback, so to speak. So I, I get that, but I I do like at least that your head is in the right place as far as you know needing to to kind of break out of your shell of like the four people think tank of just being like these are great ideas. Here you go, and people are like. The hell is that? Get out of here, <laughs> right? Like, because there's some people who who work on a game for for three years and they don't want to show it because they're like, oh, it's not ready, it's not ready, it's not ready, and then they push it out. And there's things that they could have fixed in between that time by just letting people see it beforehand, you know. So it's yeah. like feedback is super important. 
because that's like uh, essentially where it starts originating from. Right? Originated from. <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> Like we took it to start taking to events like on the back of like a two month prototype. So like there was never a point when it was like like under wraps for like months and months at the time. It was literally from bare bones. People were playing it from the start, so we could literally gauge what people were doing straight away and what people resonated with straight away, and then we could just build on that. That's pretty much been like the ethos the whole time. Yeah, really. I think it's just getting people to play it and what people like. We just I think yeah, keep doing more of that. The thing is, it's never going to be ready. Like, I don't think we're ever going to look at it and go, this is right, this is ready to go. There's always going to be improvements. So, but yeah, yeah, be, if yeah. you can get feedback as early on as possible, it's the best thing you can do. Because the thing is, when you work on it for like two and a half years, day in, day out, you're looking at it like, I cannot tell if this is any good anymore. And you sort of get panic attacks, like, what if it's terrible? And you just have no idea. Yeah. And you sometimes yeah. do have to just sort of take that leap of faith and put it out to you, the public and just see what they say. Yeah. Even if it's bad, then it's better knowing it's six months you know, like a year before launch then on launch day. So. Uh, 100%, yeah. At least so you could do something. It. Even internally, we've got um, our studio is laid out as U-shaped so that all your monitors are facing in. So there's never a point where you're sort of hiding your work away until it's ready to show to the others. Is at any point, you know, from the second you start working on set, you can look at it and you can see what the others are working on. And we've always, you know, had constant feedback in the four of us and just try and take that um, to the public, because you know, my opinion means nothing really when it comes to you know, selling the game to other people, getting a game that people are going to enjoy playing. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to touch a point that you mentioned, which is uh, you'll look at it and you'll never feel that it's ready. Right. There's always yeah. going to be that. How do you improve it? There's always going to be that. Uh, this could be better, right? Everyone has that, especially people working on it that are passionate about something because they want it to be the best that it can be, right? Now, unfortunately, that doesn't work because you have to make money at some point and you have to get the game out. So uh, let's talk about the Steam page saying that the game is coming soon. Ooh, now, yeah. obviously, you're not going to tell me a date, and that's fine. I'm not looking for a specific date. I wouldn't ask for that because that's that's a bit much. I'm sure you're not ready. I'm sure you have different things. And also, you're not just going to drop it on this podcast. But I just want to talk, I, I love asking this question, is just like, how is development going, right? You know, how how confident are you that an announcement might come soon kind of a thing? How is just the general process for the team? Yeah, um, I mean, as it stands, all our timelines and stuff uh, are sort of good to go. We, we, can, we can sort of say a rough time. We was aim, we're aiming for the summer. Um, Very cool. I mean, we might completely mess up now. Yeah, yeah. That, but, <laughs> but, um, but I know, I know, it's okay. Yeah, that's but, what um, I'm thinking. Um, everything's on sort of track to where it should be. We was actually planning on launching it slightly earlier, but then there was a huge game that was launching the same week, and we went, actually, you know what? Put that back a month. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a lot of external factors, not just our development, that um, would affect the release date, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like other games being released. At what point in the year that, like, I don't know people want like i've got the most time off or like whenever games are played the most and stuff like that we'll have to think of that rather than just uh when we're ready but in terms of internally yeah we're doing doing all right <laughs> this, <laughs> is, track, uh, yeah. this is just our life now yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah all right well i i'm hoping you enjoy it then <laughs> yeah. yeah so far yeah uh, so far <laughs> all right <laughs> I, mean, I, answer, but... I mean yeah who knows um 
So I, I want to uh, wind this down. I always like asking the developers this last final question. Um, I ask this for everyone, and it's really just kind of a, a, a place for you to give your tips and tricks, so to speak. So, you know, there's people who are listening to this podcast and maybe they want to get into the indie game space. Maybe they want to start working on their own project, right? And especially for a team that is so so relatively new and creating their first project, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you've learned along the way of like the, yeah, this was a bad idea or yeah, you know what, this could have helped us or even something where you're like, you're doing this today and it's making you a better team or a better person, whatever that might be. So are there any uh, any advice or, or nuggets of, of truth that you think would help an audience listening? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you wanted, like, if you're completely new or like don't know too much about the game development, you just go onto YouTube pretty much and start any tutorial. But just start making anything. Like, yeah. Before nice. before we started, even before I started stuff, I was just making anything in my spare time. Like, just like like simple 2D games or anything, just because it gives you, it starts giving you an idea of how how a project even starts and comes together, even if it's like a two-hour project or whatever. You you, you understand how there's a start, middle, and end sort of thing. And then you can just once, even if you spend like, like an hour a week or something, and then slowly that becomes more and more time, and then eventually you're spending quite a lot of time on it. Even if like you think oh, it's a daunting task to to start game development, because um, it can be quite overwhelming. Yeah. But if you just start doing little bits here and there, two like a year or two years from now, you'll be pretty. You'll you'll look back and be like, damn, I've done a lot of stuff here. Um, yeah, I'd say um, this isn't one of the things where you can just research a lot. There's you kind of do have to just dive in and there's never going to be a right time to do it. I know a lot of people are like, you know, I'm moving house next week, after that then I'll do it, or I've got to get this desk first, then I'll do it. It's kind of, you just have to jump in and the first thing you do is going to be crap. It's yeah. terrible. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Because you should have seen the stuff we've done before this and even the first version of stuff is terrible. Even, um, even stuff now, like we're always like, you know, seeing how we can improve it. Because like, yeah, whatever, especially as a program or developer, there's always, um, you just build the thing, and then, then you just you can work out later how how to refactor it, make it better, optimize it, all this stuff. Um, but when you yeah, when you think about, I guess, the player first, because the player doesn't see the back end of how anything works, they see the the front user experience. So do you, I guess, focus on that bit, and then and then you can always either hire better engineers to like build out the back a little bit better, so it's a bit more scalable in the future. But like, um, I think yeah, going along from that a little bit, there's. There's no step-by-step -step guide of how to make a teddy bear first-person shooter. You kind of, That's true. at some point, you're always in the dark. Oh, yeah. And you sort of, you know, you know what you're doing vaguely, but there are bits where you are entirely making up as you go along, and then you just got to dive into it. Like, if you know what you want to make, or even if you don't, you know, when we first started, we didn't know everything that we wanted to go into the game. We knew, you know, where we wanted to start from, but things were just grown naturally from there. So you just kind of just have to dive in and just trust yourself that you can, do it. Um, I think as well, finishing projects is really easy to start a project. Um, and then it's really easy to sort of say I'm done with it. But it's that last sort of 25% where mm -hmm. you're tidying it up or you're going back and you're fixing things. I think that's the hardest bit where, um, I mean, we've been- I've got loads of projects while. I haven't finished. Yeah, yeah, because there, there is, it is. Yeah, that's the most cool part definitely. It's like the last 20% of a project, like tying up loose ends. Yeah, um, I guess going from that as well is scope. And the best way to learn your level, you just need to learn your level um, of what you can and can't do. And again, going into that, it's just building stuff. So you learn, you go, okay, it takes me roughly a month to do this, to do that. So when you are starting to develop your next project, you go, you can start realistically 
learning how long it's going to take. And simple and polished is always better than sort of, you know, extravagant, but it's not finished. So right. it's always better to have a few smaller projects that work really well than, you know, one massive thing that's not done yet. Um, and kind of what we got to start, actually, it's not done yet. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what we said earlier about getting feedback, like even if you're just working on your own in a little tiny project that takes a weekend, ask people what they think, ask, you know, your friends, put it yeah. up online. Too scared to put your name to it. Use a you know username and a blank profile picture and just see what people think. Uh, so I think that's why I did my first bits of art. Just went up on um, DeviantArt as a teenager under a fake name yeah. and a fake picture, and you just get feedback from it. You can work on that and you can improve on it. Um, I guess as well, it's kind of a weird one, but networking in itself is a skill, and obviously yes. Corona, there's always game events and stuff, and it is worth going down there just having a chat with people, even if you haven't got anything. Because you start to get recognized with people, they'll put you in touch with other people. I mean, a lot of like people we've hired or, you know, just anything is a lot of it's friends of friends that know you. They start to recognize that you still have a good reputation. You know, just yeah. stuff like that. It's, it's, so, it's so worth just going down and getting a ticket and talking to people. Um, I guess uh, uh, this is another random one as well, but learning to say no to people as well. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because uh, we get it a lot where we get people, and it's quite innocent. Uh, but they're like, you know, I'd love to help out and to do this. I, you know, I'm at uni, I can only help out part time. You're like, great, more work, more people helping out. And then it's actually, you know, they're not really too bothered about the project, so they don't care about what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's more time managing them. So sometimes it's better to just say, actually, you know what, I really appreciate, you know, you get in touch, but we can't take anyone on that time. Stuff like that, because we've been burnt by people sort of doing bits and bobs, and then actually, We've had to let them go, which has been more painful, and then redo what they did do. Yeah, it it could be a struggle sometimes, but I think that all makes sense. I think that's all great advice. Um, For those listening, Stuffed is currently in development, as you heard, but if any of it sounds interesting, be sure to head over to their Steam page, check it out. Of course, add it to your wish list if this is something that you want, um, because it does help them with discoverability and it does help just to, you know, you'll get that notification when it comes out and be able to pick it up. Uh, but once again, thank you to everyone, to the team, and good luck, best of luck on uh, the game. Thank you. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.